Hello, and welcome to the 9 to 5 CEO podcast. I am Tremaine, a.k.a. the 9 to 5 Landlord. Um, my co-host, Zena, she will be in at some point today, but we have a special guest if you want to introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. My name is Ariana Solis. I am a, a few things, I guess. I'm a licensed loan originator, and I'm a less 217-6909. I'm a licensed insurance broker, and I am a landlord as well. Uh, <laughs> right. no, that's what's up. That's what's up. So kind of taking it back from the beginning, um, as far as your upbringing, did you grow up like around a lot of entrepreneurs and business people or? Mm -hmm. So so I did. My parents were both salespeople. It got, so it's been in my blood. My parents uh, are immigrants. When they came over here, they were working in the Diamond District, which was uh, heavily run by a different demographic so they were kind of coming in doing just the grunt work and um to try to get a couple extra dollars here and there uh, my dad was selling jewelry so you know all the nameplates like the when we had it in the hoops and the chains and everybody forgot their names and needed it on their jewelry my dad was the one that designed that used to sell it um and my mom used to also sell jewelry so if you wanted the chain to put it on or a bracelet to match that's what she did and then eventually she started selling Avon. She has her own store now. She owns a couple properties. Um, so it's, it's always been kind of around that you can make your own money if you really want to. Mm. Dope. Mm. Dope. No, that's fine. That's fine. So um, at what point did you get introduced to real estate and what gravitated you towards it? So my intro to real estate, I think, has been very different from most people, but it worked out. So whatever. I was selling cars at one point, pre-pandemic. And while I was really, really good at it, I hated the work environment. I was one out of 30 something people and I was the only female there. So not the best, healthiest you know, <laughs> environment. It was always something going on. Um, but I was like involved with one of the guys there and he was getting a property and I was kind of like, if, Sure. Like I never really thought about getting real estate. So I was saving up money. My, I was working on my credit always just because I was supposed to, but I never thought like, let me get real estate. But as more time passed in the car business, I hated being there, but I was getting paid pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I knew I had to get something else to create passive income because I didn't even have the time to, to do other sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So I said, if I want to leave here, I'm going to take a pay cut wherever I go. So I need something else that's going to generate money. This guy bought a property and I'm like, hmm, if it works out for him and he's not the smartest person, <laughs> not even to try to throw shade, but he's just not right. I, I knew like book smarts. I had it. My credit was better. I had more money. So I was like, if he could do it, like, what am I waiting for? So I got some of my stuff together and I said, I'm going to go buy a house. And I called a realtor and that, that was it. I got into being a landlord first before getting into real estate as a professional, which was definitely, I think, eye-opening because nobody now can tell me I don't know what they're going through. I went through it, a three, four month closing, <laughs> almost didn't close the day oh. of, um, <laughs> the roof coming down later, having a porch rebuilt. It's oh, it's been nice. a mess. So yeah, we're that was my intro that. to real estate. <laughs> Sheesh. So if mm -hmm. you could walk me through your first deal and what for you had you thinking, you know, multi-family as opposed to single family. My my first deal as like an owner? Yeah, yeah. The, the first the okay. property you bought. Oh well, I only got one house. So right. <laughs> my first deal has been my only deal. Um, so what made me go for that is, like I said, I watched this guy go through the process. I helped him build his credit to get the house. Right. So I was kind of like watching the whole thing and he was going towards a three family. He ended up buying a new work. So I was seeing a lot of that and I'm like, okay, I'm, I know the math. Hey, you want rent roll to be as high as possible and you want mortgage to be as low as possible. I didn't know anything about the in-between, but at least that much. And I was like, well, if you can get another unit right? That's going to generate X dollars more a year. And it's only going to cost you this much more in a mortgage. Why not do that? So I started gearing myself more towards a four family. I was like, okay, you have a three, but if you could get a four, that's an extra, at least thousand dollars a month. Right. And on the mortgage, it's not going to be another thousand dollars. So let me try to find that. 
And so being that I followed the numbers that he did, I figured my mortgage would end up around the same thing, give or take. I started looking in pockets where I knew I could afford that type of price point. And it led me to either Newark again, Bridgeport, Connecticut, or New Haven, Connecticut, which is a little bit further up, at least with what's close enough to me to drive. Um, and that that's really what it was. I saw that he was making money with three. I was like, I, I want more money. <laughs> so I went for four and that was it. Wherever Zillow told me there were enough houses that I could shop around, that that's where I went. So, okay. So once you identify what it is that you want, um, how long was, how many properties were you looking at before you found the one that you ended up buying? And what about that one had you like, okay, this is it. So the market I was buying in, it's an interesting market because you could have gotten a four. There's a lot of rehab potential in that area, right? What I've come to learn as of late is that the houses are not worth rehabbing, which is why there was a lot out there. Mm -hmm. um, so I picked a different property first that was like gut renovated, beautiful. I took the inspector and he's like, there's asbestos, there's water damage in the frame. There, there was a whole bunch of stuff that was structural issues and I had put in an offer and I had to walk away. It was just too much stuff. Hi. Hi. Um, it was just too much. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Hello, Ariana. Hi. Um, but yeah, so it was too much stuff to then fix. And I ended up shopping again and again. And I realized it might be better off taking one of those older homes that look like they need more renovation, but still have good bones. And being that we went through a pretty thorough inspection the first time around, I kind of had an idea of what to look for the second time around. And when I saw a property that it was actually owned by someone who worked for the gas company. So the furnaces were very well kept. Everything looked okay. And I said, I'll go with that one. And my house was built in 1877 and I haven't had to do like major, major stuff. We had to patch a roof, but who didn't last year on the East coast? Um, so yeah, that's mm. what made me pick that one. Dope. Dope. Okay. So that's what's up. That's what's up. So, um, walk me through like your closing day. Was it all four tenants occupied? Were the rents low? Did you have to bring them up? Like, what was your process as far as closing and just taking over the building? What were like your immediate thoughts? Oh man, I didn't, I had no clue what I was getting myself into, <laughs> to be honest. I like, I already knew there was going to be some tension because some little young chick came and says, I own the house now. And it's like, who's this? <laughs> right. But I didn't realize how bad that was going to be um first of all I got handed like a bunch of keys no labels no nothing Me too. <laughs> here's the keys good luck and you can't even go test the keys before closing it's just here you go um I had a really rough experience getting to closing I put an offer in in August and it was accepted in August and we didn't close till November so yeah they they dragged out and now being a lender I'm like how could you possibly how could you possibly do that but Thankfully, the sellers didn't back out and um, I got to close, but I was driving up to Connecticut, still not knowing what time I was supposed to close because paperwork was still getting sent back and forth between attorneys. So by the grace of God, I closed. I got the keys. I went to the property and a friend of mine went with me and she's like, is that a bullet hole in the front of your house? <laughs> My house is in the hood, like in the hood hood. Right. So you start to see it now at night. I was never going up with the realtor at night. I wasn't thinking to. Um, somebody told me that's a rough part of town, but I'm like, I'm from the Bronx. I got this. Yeah, it's a different type of hood out there. <laughs> so it was getting accustomed to that um, more than anything. And when I went to collect rent the first time, one of the units was vacant. So that that was easy. I threw somebody in there that had a program from the state ended up regretting that because that led to a whole other slew of things. And I think you and I have spoken a little bit about the police incidents and all oh, we that stuff. Hear that. We want to hear oh, that. We'll get to, <laughs> we'll get to that. The other one I had occupied with somebody who was using the basement as well. And he was like a handyman and a contractor. And he was part of the reason I bought the house because I was like, okay, he can maintain it. He moved out two months after I bought the house. Uh, another unit, when I went to go collect rent, as far as what I was told the rent was, she's like, I don't pay that. <laughs> and what do you do? 
what do you do? I'm supposed to sit there and call like this old lady a liar to her face. And like, let's think about our demographic, right? Our conversation ends in a positive note. So mm -hmm. I said, okay, let's do this. Um, they told me your rent was 1200. You're telling me it's 1050. Thankfully, I'm not in a position where $150 a month is going to make or break my bank account, mm -hmm. right? So what I agreed to with her being that I bought in November, I was like, I'll give you three months because that's when somebody else's lease was going to change over. And she was on a month to month lease. I was like, I'll give you till their lease needs to be renewed. Pay your 1050. I'm not going to argue with you. But that day comes your, your rent's going up and there's no, I didn't know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm gonna give you the holidays. But once we're done with that, we're done with that. Um, and then, yeah. So that was, that was closing and getting accommodated and all that stuff. Actually, I went to go kind of just chill with my friends in the empty unit to like my housewarming. I forgot to switch the electric to my name. So there was no light. Oh. We had to go to home Depot and get like the, the press lights. And that was our light for our little party. But I'm telling you, nobody told me anything. I was just like, I have a house now. I that's it. No, no, that's fire. That's fire. Um, that is hilarious. I'm sorry. Why did the closing take so long? Sorry, why did the closing take so long? You said it was from. You closed and put in needed documents. I sent that over. Um, it was it was my LO. Honestly, I don't I don't think I had the most solid team, and for different reasons. I feel like the LO didn't care. Um, the realtor I came to find out later, although she is an absolute sweetheart and she's amazing and very smart, it was her first multifamily deal. Oh. So just inexperience there. Of I don't know what happened on the back end, but I know that there's things now that I'm aware of that I didn't know back then. And she probably should have known, or at least been like, Hey, by the way, but yeah, it was, it was, the ball got dropped on a few different areas, mm -hmm. but we're here. <laughs> so that's, that's all I had to ask for. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. A mm. uh, question for you. So you have this building, you have your first building, you still have a nine to five. Can you speak on what was it like at that time doing both and balance so, between the two? So it was, I didn't have the nine to, well, I have a nine to five now, I guess, but at the time I was selling cars and whatnot, um, which was like a nine to nine. They, there's no mercy in that. But the house and I closed in a I sent them an email. I was like, happy new year. I quit. I wasn't trying to be what? there. And I went to a different dealership where I knew like the environment was going to be a little bit better, but it was less money. And then three months later, COVID hit. So mm -hmm. my nine to five was quit for me. I didn't really have a choice, but what made me jump into real estate as a professional was that transition of me getting the house to create passive income. So I could leave this job that I hate but then COVID came and quit that job for me anyway. And everybody's watching the world fall upside down. And I had a forbearance because they're like, hey, nobody's going to pay this because everybody lost their job. So you don't need to pay your mortgage. I had made two mortgage payments and the forbearance kicked in. So I was like, all right, a year with no mortgage payments, but rent was still due and three out of the four tenants were still paying. So I was getting unemployment. I was getting rental income. <laughs> and you know everything was good so for me it became like wow real estate really is like a way out of all of this because people will ultimately need food and shelter and toilet paper in ungodly amounts right but <laughs> yeah so for me it was like you know being able to leave that wasn't my choice but it being that it happened I was like wow and that really did a whole mindset shift of like it wasn't a scarcity mentality anymore or survival where I, I need to make another dollar how am I going to pay my bills next month it's like no 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 this is this is a business this is generating money somebody's always going to need somewhere to live the area I'm in it's not a lot of owner occupied very heavy rental market so I'm like if I can just do this a couple more times I don't need to work so I got got into real estate as a professional to help other people do the same thing because I'm very much like if you don't like where you're at leave like I 
I'm not the one with my boss, with a guy. It don't matter. Like, if you don't like your environment, get out. But you have to have a plan, right? So I think real estate is an amazing way of having that happen. So me personally, I can't say I'm passionate about mortgages or about real estate or about houses or HGTV. I don't watch that in my spare time. But I am passionate about doing whatever the hell you want. And I know that real estate is a great catalyst to be able to do that. So I'm in it as like, a, yo, let me take you from here to here. If you want to buy a house, I got you because this is where I'm at in my life. And I know I'm not even where I can be yet. So if I got here during the pandemic, you can plan it out a little bit and we can get you even further faster. And my LO sucked and I'm awesome. So I'm always like, we're going to make this happen for you. You know, like if you guys see this back here, this is the motivation. This is what I want to be doing. Smoking money and like just chilling in the background, <laughs> you know? But yeah. No, that's fine. That's fine. So a uh, question for you. I know now you work for Matt, the mortgage guys uh, company. Now, before you worked there, did, did you already hear about him or did you just apply and they'd be like, oh, who is this guy? No. So I was a realtor when I met a different lender and that lender was talking to me um, while well, I was talking to them, trying to figure out how to buy another property now that I was a realtor and my income was all like all over the place. And we got to talking about my background, how I had done finance in the automotive industry. And they were like, well, if you did finance there, why don't you just do the finance here? And that got me into the loan officer stuff. But that didn't work out with that person. Um, again, I'm not the type to stick in an environment if it doesn't make sense for me. Didn't make sense here or here. Um, and then one day a colleague of mine from the same bank was like, oh, hey, this guy is teaching this class about some program, some loan program. I was like, okay, we could benefit from that. We ended up going, we kind of stuck out <laughs> because we didn't fit the typical demographic for MG. And um, we left early at one point. And oddly enough, how social media works and all that, I had started following the page. I was like, oh, I had no idea who this guy was until that day. And I see like the reactions he's getting from people. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm late to the party, but cool. Apparently, because we stuck out so much, he had noticed that we were there. And um, on Instagram, he had some fake account started following me of his. You know how that happens? You follow somebody like super like up there and then all their little fake accounts start popping in. <laughs> so I sent it to him and I was like, oh, hey, by the way, looks like you got a fake account, but great class today, yada, yada, yada. We started talking via DM. And then it turned into, hey, you guys should come in. Let's talk. And that was that. And then we got hired to work with MG. So it wasn't really that he was looking. It wasn't really that I was even trying. It was just we came together, had a conversation, and it made sense for what he's trying to do business-wise, for where I was trying to be business-wise. I knew it wasn't where I was. So I, I had to make a move. He has a platform that makes sense and a mission that makes sense for what I want to do. And the, the rest has been history. And now we just did InvestFest. Uh, we're supposed to be going to Chicago next month. Uh, they're going to be in London in October. I'm not, I'm skipping that trip. Uh, yeah, so it's on to, to bigger and better things now. Is he doing it, an event in Chicago? Yeah, so we're waiting on the venue to be confirmed. If I'm not mistaken, it's like September 17th. I don't know if I'm supposed to be sharing this, but sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so from what I've been told, it's September 17th. We just don't know exactly where, and I have no details of anything. I was just told Chicago, September 17th, save the day. That's, that's cool. it. That's what's up. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, so we kind of go deeper into it. So you have your building. Mm -hmm. uh, you have these tenants. When did things start to go left with the one? Was there already signs there? With the one, I wish it was one. <laughs> um, so things start, I think from day one, it was just like, obviously there was a little bit of attention. I'm younger than everybody that lived there. And it was like, this little girl gonna come tell me what to do, how to live. Oh, you think, cause this your house. Like, listen, I'm just trying to make it better. Cause I got there, there was no mailbox. Mm. How you don't have a mailbox. They had like buckets and the mail person would just like, divvy it up but anybody could come in off the street and take your mail your other your neighbors alone could take your mail by mistake however it rains your mail is what it just didn't make sense so I came I put a mailbox 
And I'm like, okay, I need a list of everybody that lives here. Like anybody that's getting mail here so we can label the mailboxes. Oh, you don't need to know my business. It was just aggressive (laughs) for no reason all the time. Um, So that was fine. The holidays passed. It was like, okay, because I closed November, but then March hits and it's the pandemic and the world turns upside down. And what do you, what do you do? I had just given everybody leases because I told you the guy that was a contractor moved out two months after I bought the house. So I was like, okay, I couldn't really deal with that because I was in the middle of switching dealerships. So came March, I had two new tenants that signed their lease for March 1st. Um, And the other two tenants, the older lady that lied about the rent, and then some other dude that ends up getting evicted later, uh, they had also signed their leases for March 1st. So everybody was committed to a year starting March 1st, and then everything got shut down three weeks later. So one of them, thankfully, she was, it was getting paid by the state. So that money was coming in. Um, And then two of the other tenants, one of the new ones and that older lady, they were paying. And then it was one family, the trap house apartment that they were like, yo, moratorium, free money. We don't got to pay you and you can't kick me out. They were throwing parties. There were bottles across the front lawn. When I tell you it was just blatant disrespect that I would show up to my own property and feel like, like, what is this? And mind you, you have neighbors that you're stuck with now because everybody's on quarantine. So I have people complaining. I can't do anything. The cops don't care. And it was just messiness. It was nuisances and things like that. The first big incident was the fire of June 15th. I was in Washington Heights in New York, which is like an hour and a half if you drive at the pace of a normal person. But when you get a phone call that your house is on fire and you fly, uh, it took me about an hour to get up to the property. And now mind you, this happens to also be the day that T-Mobile's network went out for whatever reason. So I was trying to call my tenant because they texted me, there's a fire coming from the basement. And I'm trying to call my tenants, call my tenants and none none of the calls are going through. I'm thinking, they're burnt to a crisp. Meanwhile, it's T-Mobile. <laughs> so it's like the coincidence of it. So I get up to Connecticut. It wasn't a big fire. It was that one of the tenants was smoking, flicked a lit cigarette, and the fire inspector even said, you couldn't have done this if you tried, but just by chance, it happened. They flicked the lit cigarette. It lands on a little piece of debris that was metal, like a little pipe, because um, there was a bunch of garbage everywhere all the time. So they, it hit the pipe and the pipe was touching the siding and the siding's vinyl. So the pipe was heating up, touches the vinyl, vinyl catches fire and there's a fire now because they flicked the lit cigarette. So that was fire one. Fire two was thanks to the same group of tenants, by the way, that caused fire one because the genius plugged in two air conditioners into the same outlet but one in the regular outlet and the other one through an extension cord and shorted the thing and caused an electric fire. Oh my God. That was fire too. Um, I had a flooded basement at one point, nobody's fault in particular, the water tank just went out, um, but had to redo floors in the middle of all of this craziness, uh, finding contractors to come in and do that type of job when it's the pandemic was the nice, a pretty penny, but I have a dope contractor out there. Love him to death. Um, so he's been great. He'll he'll come in for whatever. So what was the extent to this fire? Like, was it like the whole basement? Was it like a part of the house? No, it wasn't even from the basement. The reason they thought it was from the basement was because we were rebuilding the the porch. Uh, the insurance company came in and was like, nah, (laughs) fix it. So I had to rebuild the porch. And while we were doing that, it was the first day of construction. I thought that when they said it's coming from the basement, maybe we left one of the the battery packs for like the drills plugged in somewhere we shouldn't have, something like that. It was just that because they flicked it and it hit something that was on the ground, they assumed it was coming from the basement, but the basement was fine. It was coming from outside. So the extent of the damage was really fixing the siding in the back and adding the, the insulation and all that stuff that goes into the wall. That was really it. They didn't even have to break windows or anything like that. There was nothing that crazy. I think it cost me about 500 bucks. I didn't even go through insurance for that. I just paid for it. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. And then the electrical fire, we had to fix the wiring, thanks to that guy. And then I didn't even paint the wall. I was like, nah, 
Um, so I just, I fixed the wire. I was like, as long as the, the house doesn't go up in flames, I don't, I didn't really care what it looked like. So that was to bring the electrician in another like 300 bucks. So it wasn't like terrible, but who mm. wants to deal with these things, you know? So question for the person that's listening, that's thinking about getting into real estate and they're like, oh, it caught on fire. Nah, that's why I'm not buying nothing. What would you tell them as far as things you could do to kind of per not necessarily prepare yourself but make sure like you're covered as far as like maybe insurance goes i mean insurance is definitely important to go through line by line it's not the sexiest part of this transaction at all and i think a big gap in education that we have whether it be neglect or ignorance or whatever nobody really talks about the insurance side of things it's kind of seen as a box you need to check to to get to closing and what i've seen some lenders do a lot of lenders do is um wait till the very, very end when they're getting ready to get to clear to close and they go, okay, now all I need is your insurance to close. No, that should not be the conversation. The conversation should have happened when you got into contract, not just because of the liability standpoint and the education as a home buyer, but financially, your mortgage is made up of your principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. How have you been calculating this this entire time if you don't know what you're paying for insurance? That's, that's for starters. Right. Some properties are going to need flood insurance, earthquake insurance, certain different endorsements, depending on where you are. And that can affect your finances significantly. I'm over here on the East Coast. There's plenty of deals that get messed up because they didn't account for flood insurance and things like that. But as far as liability, um, if you're a landlord only and you don't live on the property, it is a different type of policy than if you live on the property. So those are that's something you need to keep in mind of just like, oh, let me get a quote and not going through these things with a, an insurance person can come and bite you in the butt. Um, one thing I tell all my clients is that the insurance company's main focus is not to protect you. It is to protect their money. They don't want to pay anything out. So it's up to, however, that's what they do. So it's up to you to make sure that your policy crosses all the T's and dots all the I's. You can't come back later and say, oh, but I should be covered. Should have paid for that specific coverage. Like flood insurance isn't the same as water backup. Like there's a lot of things and people don't want to go through that because it's not fun. You don't want to talk about what could happen if your house burns down. But I have all the stories. So I tell people, I'm like, listen, two fires, a flood, a homicide, a stolen car, like, you name it, it's happened. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) A homicide. Oh, my God. What did I miss? When I tell you, like, that house has put me through it. So I mentioned that I had a, a, a tenant that had a state program, right? I brought her in thinking I'm doing a favor, young single mom. I've been there. Girl, maybe this is, you're me in five years. I don't know, but let let me be that person to help. And it's guaranteed money. So I didn't give her like too hard of a time. I let her move in. Pandemic hits. I'm not really checking in on them because I didn't want to get in people's business, but I did start notice people were like, everybody was doing that, right? The whole family comes to live wherever. So she had extra people there. I wasn't going to fight people. I couldn't get rid of them anyway. My water bill was stupid high though. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one day, it was a Sunday night. I remember I was driving around. I don't know what I was doing that day. It was a long day. Came home, had some tacos. I was ready to, you know, get into that. And I get a phone call and it's a 203 area code, which is uh, up in Bridgeport. And I'm like, it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday. I feel like I shouldn't take the call, but I should. Let's see what it's about. I pick up. Hi, is this Ariana Solis? Who's speaking? Yes, this is. Okay, this is Lieutenant such and such from Bridgeport Police Department. Do you know uh, or do you own this and this property? I was like, I do. What happened? Right? Because as soon as like you're a lieutenant calling on a Sunday night, if you grew up in the hood or hood adjacent, you know, lieutenants don't work (laughs) on Sunday nights, especially not to call you. So I was like, what happened? He's like, well, there was a homicide here tonight. We noticed that you have cameras that I installed because of the fire. (laughs) But they're like, we noticed you have cameras. We're going to need to pull the footage. And I was like, all right, I'm not going up there tonight, but I can meet you there tomorrow. Fair enough. So I I looked at my phone because I could see it from my phone. So I went back. Uh, The incident itself is not caught on camera, but what led up to it is it was this very girl. She's like early 20, well, was early 20s at the time. She, you can see her dragging out a bag of laundry 
there's no audio, but you can almost hear it. And she's like, like all of the, all of the hand gestures, all of the neck breaking. So you can kind of tell she's kicking him out, right? And he's arguing, she's arguing, and she just swings on him. And I was like, oh, he swings on her. Oh, two people in a car though. This is where I think it's us. Two people were in a car outside of the house the entire time this is playing out. They get out, get into the fight. Now you got four people. The tenants from upstairs come down. They get involved. Now you got like seven, eight people full on brawl on the front yard. At some point they stop. I don't know what stopped it, but they stop. They all start walking in except the girl's ex now, whatever, uh, the guy. And he picks up a brick and throws it at the group that's walking back in the house. In that group was this girl's brother. Her brother goes and grabs a knife, chases him down the block, stabs him to death. Then came back and threw the murder weapon on my property though. But so I was up there watching the footage with them. And like I said, the incident itself wasn't on footage, but then they went and found the knife while I was there. And when they were coming back into the room where I had the cameras, they're like, oh, actually we won't show it. Apparently it was so bad that the knife was bent from where it was hitting the sidewalk. You know, okay. then I start, that was eviction one. <laughs> Cause I don't want that smoke on my property. We just can't do that. Oh, so did so, you sleep that night? Like, did you tell others like this is like- I didn't live there. It's not like, like I get it. But again, like I said, I grew up in the Bronx. It's not like a homicide is a new thing. Um, I was used to hearing the sirens at night, right? It just is what it is. Um, So the fact that there was a homicide wasn't like the end of the world to me. It was just, how am I going to get rid of these tenants? And what's going to be the repercussions of that? And now I have to be careful how I move around the property. They all knew my car. Um, They all knew me. Again, I, I stuck out in that neighborhood too. So it was like, you know, if I come in here, I got to watch where I'm going. And, and that's fine. Um, I went as far as getting my gun permit when I was out there because I was like, I don't know, I might have to use it. <laughs> but I never I never took it that far because um, I still live in New York and can't bring it over here. So didn't go that far. But I was considering it because I was like, this is is dangerous. And for the three months after that happened, I had to have police escort, a police escort going up there because anytime I tried to talk to her, as soon as I filed the eviction, she lost her mind. She's like, you're, you don't have any compassion. It's a time of grief, yada, yada. I'm like, your brother killed your boyfriend on my property. Like we can't, we can't do that. Like I get it, grieve elsewhere. It can't happen here. Um, So that started getting really aggressive. And anytime I went up to the house for anything else, it would turn into, she calls the cops. I call the cops, a neighbor calls the cops. So it got to the point that they're like, just just call us before you come up here because we, we can't keep doing this where it's like a whole thing. Just call us when you're coming up. Um, and then she got evicted by, that happened December 13th. She got evicted by end of February. And I didn't even file the paperwork till January. So Connecticut's pretty fast when it came to that. It was also like a safety hazard situation. Um, so yeah, by end of February, she was out. But Oh, <laughs> they put me through it for sure. Have you considered getting a, a property manager because of all of these issues? I have. And every time I was like, okay, I'm gonna get one. Then something else happens. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get one again. Oh, something else happens. And so it's just been kind of like, do I, do I not? Cause I also don't, one, I, I know the house is not in a desirable area. I don't want to be the black sheep of that property manager's portfolio where they now don't want to put in the time and effort and I'm still paying them, right? Because my property is, is positive. It's cash flowing. It's good. So it's like, if I can collect the rent and my, my relationship with my contractor is, Hey, I need this. Hey, I need that. Whatever. His birthday was like two days ago. I'm like, Hey, happy birthday. Like, you know, so we're cool. I'm like, do I really need a property manager when these have been one-offs granted they've been big one-offs, but yeah. one-offs non- nonetheless, right? And when we hit the pandemic time, what property managers? I wasn't about to start like looking for somebody to take my money during a time that I know you're short on money. And yeah. then what, right? Yeah. Like, am I really going to get the service that I that I should get? And I just have a chip on my shoulder where I feel like in a bigger space, people don't take me seriously because I'm still that little brown girl. And mm-hmm. it even showed when I went to housing court, 
I went through the landlord line and security stopped me and they were like, tenants go that way. Yeah. And I'm like, that's wonderful. I can read. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the next times I would go, I would just grill the, you know, out of him. Cause I'm like, why would you, why would you stop me and say that if it wasn't because you just judged me on my looks and I'm not like sloppy. I'm just comfortable. If I'm in a hoodie and Jordan's like, all right, I walk into family court, family court. Whoa. That was a previous life. <laughs> walk into housing court and do what I got to do. But because I'm not in a suit because, you know, so I didn't even want to reach out to property managers to like make me feel less than I was like, I got this, I'll, I'll take care of it. And I have. So once I got a second property though, it's, it's, I'm not trying to deal with none of that anymore. Like y'all all do that. So yeah, I didn't want to give up my money and then still feel some type of way is ultimately the answer to that question. That makes sense. That makes sense. So do you do your own tenant screening? Yes. Or do you have, okay. So I How is do that? it via rent spree. Um, they do, it's $30 to the tenant. They do the credit check. They do the background check and eviction history which is another thing. If somebody's looking to buy uh, to buy and become a landlord, look into states where you can actually check eviction history. Like in New York, you can't. Yeah. Why? Do you get I mean, New York is, is the most tenant-friendly place I have ever seen. So you can have gotten evicted yesterday and then go apply for an apartment and they can't ask. They can't even check. Like it grays it out in, in the system itself. So- not saying to do this, but what I've noticed that the system does, if anybody cares, is that if you submit the person's application for a different state property, you can run eviction reports regardless of where they end up. Hmm. So just saying, you know, (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, so I do my own tenant screening now. They're all above 700 credit scores, um, all steady income. They're all cash tenants, except for that old lady that I she drives me crazy. She always pays her rent at the end of the month. So it's like, I still have to start the eviction process, do everything to then get a check at the end and be like, why can't you just pay on time? And we don't got to do none of this, but everybody else, they pay me on the first of the month. It's Zelle, not the first, but between the first and the 10th, they have that grace period, but it comes to my account. They don't got to say nothing. I don't say anything. We're good. That one lady is the only one that gives me a problem and she pays just late. Yeah. So it, it's been good so far. Mm. That's the, so I have a question because you, you, you spoke about insurance for owner-occupied is different than when not owner-occupied. And a lot of people, because what I teach is how to get your first multifamily via FHA. And you know, that's an owner-occupied loan. Mm-hmm. And um, I know when I went through my um, underwriting and everything, and they give you, you know, the term sheet and everything, they kind of bake in a number or what they think the insurance is going to mm-hmm. be. But once you start shopping around for it, it's like, where do you get this number from? And give me the contact for this number because the numbers I'm getting is way above that. Um, mm-hmm. Speak to um, if someone, because um, for, for myself, I've already surpassed my year in my four units. So I'm going to you know, transition and put a tenant in here. Do I have to change the insurance to a non-occupied So you definitely have to let your insurance company like, okay, so these, these are those things that it's like, you should let your insurance company know not everybody does because once you step away from the property as being owner occupied, then the premium's more expensive because they know the people living on the property aren't the ones that own it. And just our human nature is to take care of the things that we own more so than things that belong to other people. So they know that the risk of something happening is higher. Right. And everything that the insurance company prices out is based on risk. So, yes, um, when you're buying a, a home, right, something that isn't a condo or a co-op, a physical house, you would have something called an HO3 if you're owner occupied. If it is just tenant occupied or a rental, short term rental, whatever, you would have something called a DP3. So one is a homeowner's policy. The other one is called a dwelling policy. Technically, it covers the same property. It just covers it in different ways. Um, Yeah, the coverages are generally the same. The amounts required or recommended are different just based on the fact of you living there or not. Like you don't need to insure your personal property if you don't live there, right? But at the same time, if you say you live there and then there's a total loss and they're asking you for stuff about your own things and you don't have anything to prove that you live there, they could deny the whole claim. 
right? One thing on your insurance application being even slightly off is enough for them to say you falsified your application and call it a day. So I feel like even when we do these policies, they ask the stuff that it's like, does that matter? I don't know, but I feel like they use it just in case they want to be like, nah, you know? Um, but yeah, so you, you definitely want to have the right coverages because also if there's an, a, a situation that happens, let's say weather related, right? We, we deal with a lot of hurricanes and stuff on this side. So if that were to happen and you have the, the, the dwelling policy and now you can't collect rent, right? Because it's one thing to rebuild the house, but what happens to the money that the house was generating, right? That is something that will be covered under the dwelling policy, right? For all of the units. So you can get that money back. So there's, there's different things here and there. Um, the policies, again, are generally the same. It's just that one very, very important factor of whether you live there or not. So if you're planning on leaving your FHA property and saying, hey, I'm going to go here, you call the insurance company because some of them won't do dwelling policies. That's another thing. So you have to make sure that you're with the right carrier that covers the right type of situation that you have. And then also as far as shopping price, I think it's, it's almost a dessert. Well, not even almost. It's a disservice to clients when lenders are just like, oh, yeah, just, um, I don't know, 1200 But put that because yeah. you have no clue. The person might want higher coverage and therefore it becomes more, but they need to be able to make that decision, right? Because you have this pie that goes towards your mortgage payment. So if you know you want to have certain coverages or I don't care where my house is, I definitely want flood and that's going to take up a little bit more of the pie. You got to start eating away from other things. But the the principle, for example, you're not going to switch your house based on just the insurance. So the principle is what it is. Yeah. Taxes can't fight Uncle Sam. But now the problem is you have your interest and your insurance fighting for the rest of the pie. And the person that controls the interest is the one telling you what the insurance should, it's, it's just a conflict of interest there, right? So they're telling you, ah, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And because lenders don't like having conversations about interest rates, and that's a whole nother thing. Um, or not real conversations about it. They just want to take up as much of that pie as possible. And then at the end is like, oh, your insurances, that's crazy. That's so expensive. And it's like, no, cost of goods has gone up. The cost to rebuild that house is higher now. Therefore, the insurance is going to be higher. It's not the same. The same house getting insured today versus last year, not the same premium because lumber was trading at the same price as gold at one point. Yeah. You know, try to find a contractor that's going to come out. It's it's a lot more that goes into it other than, oh, I have a two, two family over here. Do you have yeah. a walkout basement? Is it underground? Is it finished? Is it not finished? Do you have an oil tank versus gas? When were, when was the electric panel redone? Is your roof a moderate slope or a flat? There's so much stuff that goes into it that people are like, oh, yeah, but it's a, it's a two family in the city. <laughs> It's a lot. Is it two miles from the coast? Is it 1.9? That makes a difference too. So there's mm -hmm. so much that goes into it that I would say as soon as you're under contract and only because of the amount of time you have, but truthfully, before you're even going into contract, it would be wise to get a quote and say, okay, this is kind of what that's going to look like. And then the lender can play with all those numbers. But at that point, you need a team that's going to be active. And it's a lot of back and forth, back and forth, but that's the only way as a buyer you're going to know for sure. Is an insurance agent going to want to work on your quote 17 times before you're done? Mm. Is the lender going to want to adjust numbers 17 times before you're done? Probably not. So I would say use it with discretion. What I tell people is that to get their initial quote right after they do the inspection, right? Because in the inspection, you're seeing a oh, possible termite damage. Oh, this was this, that was that. Oh, there's there was previous water damage here because there was a leak. Let me go check the roof. And you have a better idea of what the house needs, what might potentially happen. So then when you're talking to me as, a, as an insurance broker and I'm like, yeah, if this happens to the house, you're like, well, the likeliness is this, the neighbor's house did have this other issue. You kind of are more educated to make a decision that works for you. Because um, I could scare you to the end of the world and say, well, this could happen and that could happen, but you'll have an idea of what could happen to your house. You get the initial inspection done, do your initial quote. And then when the appraisal is done, then finalize your insurance. Cause at that point, it's like, you know, you're going to get the house. I think we, we're all still kind of weary of appraisals. Yeah. So once that's done, you get the, the contract bound for, for insurance, the policy, and then you're good to go for closing, but definitely speak to somebody in insurance first. That's why I do them both. Cause I don't got to talk to nobody. I just do it myself. And I'm like, Hey, this is what I got for you. Let me know if that works. Feel free to shop it but at least they have something that makes sense. They're educated on why 
they need certain things because people just want the cheapest thing. And then when it comes to bite you in the ass later, don't say, I didn't tell you, I told you, you know? It's crazy because when I was, when I was going through this process, it's like all net news stuff that I've never done before, never, never talked about. So the insurance piece was a really, really pivotal because one, I didn't know it was going to be so, so, so much more expensive. Mm-hmm. Two, it was really hard to find insurance because I have a flat roof. And I was like, but the whole city got a flat roof. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? But multifamily plus this flat roof was making the premium like astronomical. I did, you know, because it was, you know, during pandemic, things were a little bit cheaper. You know, the cost of goods hadn't really hit yet. Mm-hmm. So I got something that I felt was manageable for my, you know, P- PITI. But when I when I was looking, when I was shopping around, because you should shop around for, you know, a better rate as you go along. It went up like $10,000 for my same property. If I was to get insurance now, it was $10,000 more. And I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And then I was like, well, why? Place your building if it burned down. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, that's why I got to bring. And because it's brick, it's. Now, and it got this, that will make it all that much more expensive. The first money you want that nice house, you're paying for that nice house. And what kills me is that people will like sit here and, and be like, oh, the lender, the realtor. from their VA, but it's, it's about business granted mm-hmm. relationships too, but let's be real by the, by closing Everybody. their financial interest in this is done. Yeah. Your insurance person is the one that's stuck with you for the rest of the way. And that's the person that people listen to the least. So I'm like, this person's trying to help you. And the amount of money that insurance brokers make versus what the other two parties make the, the realtor and the lender, it's like, they don't even make enough to really care if you do that much more or not right Right. like oh you increase your liability by this much I swear to god it does not matter to my paycheck at the end of the day it's so insignificant for us it's on volume at that point just getting as many policies out as possible not necessarily bumping it up but to your point from before as far as shopping it I think it's also important to note there's a difference between um, a captive agent and an insurance, an independent insurance broker. So I work as a broker. I don't work as a captive agent. That would be more of like an Allstate, State Farm. Uh, I don't know. Those are two that, that come to mind. Um, I work for a company called Goosehead. So what we do is that we're a brokerage, right? So we're in all 50, 50 states. I want to say 48, maybe national. And um, we partner with different carriers throughout the country. So my partnerships in New York aren't the same ones that we'll have in Texas, but we have somewhere everywhere, someone everywhere. So in a situation like yours, where it's a flat roof, I go, oh, well, I know I can't put it with this company, but I can put it with that one. We have, um, there's three big companies out here, Progressive, there's another one called Kemper and Travelers. And they all work within New York and New York City, Um, but Kemper won't take your property unless it's also coming with a car. They want a bundle. So they don't want a property without a car. Uh, travelers won't do anything within two miles of the coast and progressive won't cover a flat roof. So if you're going shopping and you happen to have, you're a commuter that has a flat roof home that's near the water, you just went to three different companies that can't help you for three different reasons. So what do you, what do you do as the buyer? You're just confused and annoyed. So And it's not a fun conversation to have because some of these people, and I went through it where they're like, what's the piping made out of? (laughs) I don't know. I went to the house one time and I saw the bedroom was really big and the bathroom had a tub. (laughs) I don't know what the pipes are made out of. Oh, is the electric knob infused? What? (laughs) You know, so having that person that can go, all right, like I will google earth your house to know what type of roof you have like you don't have to tell me i'll be like oh what type of roof um it's fine 
I'll just Google Earth it. And once I see those lines, I know it's a rolled flat roof, things like that. I'm like, okay, I can't put it here. I'll put it over there. I'll look at the, okay, it's near this. I'll put it over there. But then those are the conversations I have of, you can go shop it. I know it's expensive to you, but go shop it and see if you find anything better. After like two days and a couple phone calls that they make, they're like, nah, Ariana, let's just do it. Cause it's, it's not a fun, it's not a fun game at all. Like I pay, I pay almost $4,000 a year in insurance yeah. I'm, at, I'm at three thousand um I was at was it 20 23 last year mm-hmm. um and I, I'm with travelers and um when I was calling around I was you know going through a brokerage and the lady she was like honey she was an older lady she said honey just stay with travelers she was like this is the best you're gonna get right now she was like mm-hmm. I if we change your insurance to anybody else that's gonna take you because you know now it's so much more to replace mm-hmm. the property. It's going to cost you, uh, you know, it's going to go up significantly. She was like, yep. just stay with them. And now that's kind of a catch 22 though, because you always want to, you you would want to check what they think it costs to rebuild your house now. Cause that's another thing. And people think, well, I have a cheap policy. I'm gonna keep it. But it's like, why do you have a cheap policy? Right. If you bought your house 20 years ago and the estimated cost to replace was $200,000, it's not the same mm-hmm. anymore right? So you might have to up your coverage also. You don't have 200, like if somebody gave you $200,000, you can't rebuild exactly. that house, right? Exactly. So just because your coverage is, your your premium is cheap, it's probably because your coverage is low. So double check, make sure that those numbers are, are something that you're comfortable with and saying, hey, my dwelling coverage is X amount. Do I honestly think that that could rebuild the house? Sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not, but always double check because they're usually low for a reason. Um, or sometimes it's just that you got locked into their customer base and they gave you a better rate for the proper coverage. So just double check. It's not that it's necessarily low, but it could be. It was it was the latter for sure, because mm-hmm. the the my loan officer is the VP. He was like, I, I want you to work with my you know VP and in insurance. We are going to work with you because I was in tears right before closing. I was like, so much is happening. I can't get this house. Yeah. And he was like, Calm down, Zena. We're going to get you into this house. And, you know, they just, he even, he even, you know how you have to come to closing with your first year's insurance. Mm-hmm. Like, We're going to let you pay on a credit card monthly. Mm-hmm. You don't have to come up with the whole thing. And cause I was like, I don't have it. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. Cause I don't have it. <laughs> and, you know, they made it work. So, um, I do feel like I, I did get, you know, a, a good deal. So, I, I guess just the the miser in me is always looking for, you know, a way to mm-hmm. cut, you know, my expenses. But, you know, what you're saying is like so, so incredibly true. And that's like the biggest, biggest shock, I think, for people that shopping for homes is the insurance part. Because like you said, they just rush you mm-hmm. through and they're like, oh, yeah, we're about to, we're clear to close. We need your insurance. It's like, but you ain't, you ain't make this like a big deal at the beginning of this yep. process. So I could looking so you're scrambling at last minute and you're trying to figure it out so yeah. that is so cool that you said that that yeah. is like it, key. It's, it's so important because people are so and and I realize it's the it's just the consumer mentality of like I just want to get my house it's just because I just I just need to get to closing and it becomes this like I just want to close and it's like I get it I get it but you need to take a step back because it's worth nothing to close on a property that if tomorrow something happens, like right now we're in the middle of hurricane season. I'm like, if tomorrow we get told that hurricane, whatever, whatever is coming, right? Half of our law enforcement first responders are tired of us, if not to say all, right? But the hospitals don't want to see you no more. Cops don't want to see you no more. Like everybody's tired. So what do you think really happens if we have another emergency? Who's coming? Right. Ain't nobody coming for you. So make sure that your, your stuff is good so that and when the house is underwater and the car does float away and we've had that, that you're good, that you can say, you know what, it is what it is, ride out the wave, literally. And then when all is done, you can say, okay, I'm going to go to my insurance company. I'm covered. You're not here worrying about yeah. things. I don't know if you guys heard of, um, we had a really, really big fire in the Bronx. I don't know how far spread that information got, but it was a high rise building, 20 something floors, typical New York city apartment building. And, um, 19 people, I believe, died from a fire due to a space heater. So things are crazy. They died from a fire and then the entire building was displaced because once they came in to do repairs, it was like the building's not up to code because of this, that, the other. New York City is the land of open violations, right? So they had to take everyone out. 
guess what? Something as simple as a renter's policy, $15, $20 a month, maybe super cheap um, and affordable for any budget at this point. Because if you tell me $20 a month is like the killer, like we got way, way bigger problems, but $20 a month max renter's policy, they would have had somewhere to go food to eat, like everything would have been covered. We actually had a client in our book of business that lived in that building. She was covered other than the loss of life, which is a whole different, you know, unfortunately that you can't, you can't, insure. I mean, there's life insurance, but different conversation as far as where you live, what you can do, even something as simple as having renter's insurance. Cause some people think oh, the home, cause I own it. Cause I don't want to lose an asset, but it's like your way of life too right? You want to go live with your mom in the side room and on the couch and you got the kids and what are you going to do? What happens when all the clothes are, are burnt? Or my mom just actually in our, I live in the same building as my mom. She has a storage unit. She put her stuff in the storage unit and then went away for a week. And during that week, there was some like a leak, whatever, and all the stuff, anything that was touching the floor done. So that, that comes from a, a renter's policy too. So you know, it's just, it's important to have people just don't want to pay for something they can't touch. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. It's breaking that mindset of like, it's, it's protection so that you can keep building that if something does happen, you're good. You keep it moving. You're not here. Like, okay, let me patch this up or go fix this. It's just peace of mind at that too. Yeah. That's a fact. fact. Uh, to go on the thing about the insurance part uh, for all landlords. So one form I make all my tenants sign, it's called a renter's insurance disclosure Mm -hmm. form. And it's pretty much them acknowledging me, I mean, acknowledging and signing off that I recommend it for them to have insurance because you yep. can give it to a tenant and say, hey, you should get some, but it's ultimately their choice. So by yep. having that form, if something were to happen if they, and they didn't get runner's insurance, they can't yep. come back and sue you because yep. the form is saying, hey, I'm telling you, you should get runner's insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, my, my Lisa say that too, that if it could have been covered under renter's insurance, don't talk to me about it. Basically, don't come looking for me if you could have covered your own ass, right? It's not my job. Um, And then also what you want to do is add yourself to their policies as an additional insured. That way, if something ever does happen and the insurance company goes to pay somebody out, they're looking for you too, to make sure you're getting whatever your portion of whatever happened is, right? Because it might've been a theft. Somebody broke in and, you know, stole all their stuff. Sure. But to break in, you broke my door, you broke my window, I don't want to have to file a claim for that. Mm. That that's already getting paid out. I want my portion of that. Mm. So, you know, you make sure you're on their policies as well. And I ask them to send now it's now that I've learned everything I'm, you know, switching up and the tenants are kind of like, eh, you weren't asking for this before. And it's like, <laughs> um, you know, live and learn. I'm not trying to do it again. Right. So, right. yeah, it's so, you know, definitely. This- it's, this has been a dope interview um for the people that's listening um i got two part question to end this one can you talk about the mind frame you have to have with being a property owner because you know it looks sexy it looks cool and my second question would be what's next for you and where can people follow you um so mindset uh i think it starts with mindset people are worried about my credit my income got to save money and I get it and I get it. And it's easy to, to say, well, Ariana, you got to worry about that stuff. Right. And, and you do, you do, but I've seen people who have the money, have the credit, have the income. And then they're like, Oh, but I don't know. And then you get halfway into the process, time to put in an offer. And they're like, I don't know. And it's like, it's not going to get easier and it's not going to get, well, it'll get easier. It's just, things can always happen. So you have to have that mindset of, Either you're going to let it be somebody else's problem, have a property manager, or you're going to self-manage either one. Um, There's pros and cons to both, I think, when you're doing it at a smaller scale. Uh, But you have to understand that this is, these are real people and real things happen all the time. And it doesn't really matter what type of neighborhood you're in because somebody's like, oh, well, that happened to you because you're in the hood. I'm like, okay, you act like the, there's people that don't lose their mind and go on a killing spree in nice neighborhoods because those are what we see on documentaries on Netflix. It happens, right? So things can happen all the time and you have to be open to hoping for the best, but planning for the worst and always being prepared. I say, stay ready so you don't got to get ready. You have your little fund. If something happens, you can tap into it while you're waiting for insurance. You have the right insurance. So you make sure that does kick in and cover your money. 
you know, you want to cover, cover your ass every single way and just be prepared and be educated on what you're getting yourself into. Cause some people are like, I want to buy a fam, a multifamily house. And it's like, okay, why? I just, you know, like right now it's Matt said, <laughs> like he, he put out his book. It was like house hacking. I want a house hack. And it's like, they, they do it. Cause like you said, it's sexy. And it's like, but are you ready in your head? So one, be a landlord and have to deal with people, right? And what people don't think about if you're living with the people that you're also landlord over, what type of dynamic is that going to be, right? I knew from day one, I didn't want to live with my tenants. I'm a young female. I'm small. I have my son. Something goes sideways. I'm not trying to be looking over my back every time, mm. right? So I would just say it's about making sure you're aware of what you're getting yourself into and committing to that because there's going to be moments where it feels like I don't want to do this anymore. And what are you going to, like, I almost sold my house a month ago because I was just like, this is, no, I don't want to do it. I started looking up comps and I was like, and the comps were all messed up. So I was like, I don't even got time to look for it. And I got over it, (laughs) but, (laughs) but it's like, it's hard sometimes, especially when you're new. I went from being a renter my whole life to buying the property before I bought my co-op. I still have not lived in a house myself, but I was surprised when I got a water and a sewer bill. I was like, that's two things. That's a scam, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So just, you know, be prepared, be open. Don't think about just, I need this much to get into it. Think about you're running a business. You need to have reserves. You need to have money coming in at all times. Try to always maximize what you're doing. If you can put in a laundry, put in a laundry, build a parking, do something, but keep it as a business where you want to make more money. If you're stagnant, it's, it's not going to benefit you because inflation is going to keep going. So make sure you're increasing your rents. You're turning over the apartments quickly. Like there's just, it's a business. So you're going to get into it and not just get a set of keys and call it a day. You're going to be putting in work until you get enough where you pay somebody and you don't have to do it anymore, but we're not at that level yet. Right. So that's that. And I forgot the second question. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) My second question was uh, what's next for you and where can people follow you or contact you at? Okay, so what's next for me? Um, I actually want to buy a building. I'm here talking about my landlord horror stories, and I'm like, give me a hundred of them at once. Um, but I want to buy a building. So obviously not by myself, but I do want to look into the much, much bigger multifamily type properties. And at that point, that's its own animal. So I really just want to like throw money at something, call it a day, or put in the legwork, but not really be managing where people know my face. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Um, so I've been, I was actually in Philly yesterday and the day before looking at a couple buildings, um, learning to analyze those properties and underwrite them and really get into the nitty gritty of what the expenses are, how to look at those, how much you should be spending on payroll versus how much you, how many doors you have, right? What you should be estimating for renovations every time you take over an apartment, what are the value add things that you can do? This landlord's had the property for 20 years. They probably haven't raised rents the way they should. And, you know, really look at those deals from a macro perspective all the way into micro and seeing where that money comes in and, and how to maximize it, right? And for me, that's strategy, money. I love it. Um, so that's what's next. Uh, I don't think I'll be getting into smaller properties anymore. Maybe one more just to have two together and they can be their own thing. But then definitely moving into the building space, I want to have a building by the time I'm 30, which would be in a year and like two and a half months. So oh, that's the birthday. goal. October 29th. Okay, I'm November 14th. That's when I'm going to be 32. So yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, you know, maybe by next year, we'll have a couple, you know, big things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's next. And then as far as where to follow me on Instagram, I am by Ariana Solis. So B-Y- A-R-I-A-N-A-S-O-L-I-S. And there's links on there if anybody wants to do a mortgage consultation or anything like that, any events that we have with Matt, anything, anything, everything goes into my Instagram because I am a typical millennial and that's how I communicate. So my number is there as well. But if anybody wants to reach out, it's 646-776-0555. Sounds super cartoony, but I swear it's true. Um, And yeah, it's been awesome talking to you guys. Would you say something? It's been awesome having you. It's been a really, really great conversation. Your I thought I had horror stories, but they are nothing compared to yours. (laughs) Telling you, these people don't make it easy. 
<laughs> well, we thank you for uh, coming on. I've enjoyed. I've learned a lot. I got really looking to my insurance policies. Uh, so yeah, let yeah, me know. Sure. Hit me up. I got people in all states. So holla at me. Yes, I will be sliding into your yeah. DMs for sure. <laughs> there you go. I'm here to help. So whatever you guys need. And also for you guys, for anybody that's listening, it doesn't have to be that, oh, I'm immediately going to jump in to do business. If it's a question, it's a question. And that that's fine. Right. I'm not going to sit here and listen to nobody's life story. That's a different thing. But if somebody just has questions, hey, I bought this policy. I don't know. Can you look it over? Sure. I don't have a problem. There's times there's times I've even told people like I could do this, but you're better off where you're at. I don't you know, it's just a, the education needs to be there. Point blank, period. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we thank you. So that's going to do it for this episode of the 9 to 5 CEO podcast. I'm one half Tremaine, a.k.a. the 9 to 5 landlord. And I'm Zena Dixon, a.k.a. Zena Dixon, Inc. All right, y'all be blessed.